Those of you visiting, we welcome you. Thank you for coming through. Uh, I'm glad you're here. And um, as we already stated, we, we're going through the Gospel of John together, so that's what we're doing. And please keep your Bibles open. We will be using them. That's what we do. Uh, <laughs> so, um, and it's just been an encouragement uh, to actually go through this Gospel together. I look forward to the Gospel of James, um, to the book of James uh, that we can uh, share. Together, if you could turn that down just a little bit, it's still giving me feedback. One, two, all right, right there is good. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, starting in verse 1. It says, Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the, uh, with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths there, lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in the place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she, stopped, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She said to her, or Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went out and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he has said these things to her. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Lord, we thank you for today. I pray, God, that you will be with us. That we will not look to our left or to our right that we will not be distracted. Help us to worship you in the listening of your word. And God, may you help me, Father, not to focus on man, but to focus on you, to worship you today. We live in a culture right now, God, where truth is seen as relative. We live in a culture right now where the preaching of the word is really scarce. We live in a culture right now that is antagonistic to the truth, to your word. 
We even live in a culture where Christians want to be comfortable. Christians want a couch rather than a cross. And so God, would you help us not to live as consumers, but to live as sons and daughters, to know that we are loved. And so God, whatever distractions or things are around us right now, God, whatever even uh, desires that we have that are misled, I, I just pray, God, that you will humble us today to be focused to worshiping you. So God, give me the means, Lord, I need to preach your word, to be faithful, and, and to be careful in the handling of your word. But God, help me and guard me from pleasing man. So God, help me to fix my eyes upon you, to declare your word, God, in such a way that I will just be worshiping you, preoccupied with your glory. And God, I pray that others would join me we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we uh, thank you again for joining us. And again, we're going through the Gospel of John together. The last time we were in John, we covered verses 28 and 42 of John, uh, John chapter uh, 19, actually. And Jesus, in that text, was hanging on the cross. And as he was hanging on the cross, he was fulfilling Scripture. In verses 28 to 29, Jesus fulfilled, as an example, fulfilling scripture, Psalm chapter uh, 69, verse 21. We just read that psalm today. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. He fulfilled that. Jesus, knowing that all now was finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And they gave him a jar of sour wine to drink. They put a sponge full of sour wine on the hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And once Jesus drank, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Even then, he's fulfilling Isaiah 53, 8, where it says, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. So Jesus died in the text we just finished. And when he died, they pierced him because it was the day of preparation. It was Friday, the day before the Sabbath. At the time of the Passover, they didn't want bodies remaining on crosses because they understood that the uh, uh, scriptures in the Old Testament in the Mosaic law spoke of leaving dead bodies as a sign of a land being cursed. And so to fulfill the scriptures, his legs would not be broken because they actually, to expedite the process of them dying, if they were still hanging on a cross, they would break their legs so that they're, they're not able to lift themselves up to breathe. So they would break their legs so that they would hang unable to breathe and die quickly. But even then, it was to fulfill the scriptures. In Exodus 12, 46, Numbers 9, 12, it talks about a lamb's bones not being broken. And as John declared, if you remember in the beginning of this gospel account, what did John say? Behold, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. So Jesus died and they took and prepared his body for burial after he died. And we read that it was Joseph of Arimathea. He was a rich man. He was a disciple of Jesus. He took his body to his own tomb. 
Again, fulfilling the scripture in Isaiah 53, 9, where it says, And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So Jesus died. And because of the Jewish day of preparation, they took Jesus from there and laid him in a tomb. So our text today shows us what happens after. And what happens after uh, he died is actually the most important event in history. It is so essential to our faith that if not believed here today, if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, it proves that you're not even saved. You're not even Christian. You could be culturally Christian. But if you deny the resurrection, you're not Christian at all. This is very important. And I know some people say, yeah, I believe. But do you truly believe? Do you really know? Because knowing Jesus compels like actual fruit to come forth. Do you live as a Christian? Do you bear fruit? Is there a conviction of sin? Has Jesus messed up your life? As we used to say. He messed mine up big time. Because I like doing what I did in the world. I love doing the things I used to do. But when Jesus came and changed me, when I try to go back to those things, those things were bitter now. Those, it's, it's different. There was conviction. There was a, a, a desire to read his word. I'm a new person and a new creature in Christ. Amen. Now, that doesn't mean you're a perfect creature in Christ. I always like to bring that up because it is discouraging sometimes when you, especially when you see someone mature in the faith. Why can I be like them? They're problem free. They ain't got no problems. They ain't got no beef with nobody. But anybody who knows us, us being people, and people being sanctified, if you look closely enough to everyone here, we all got issues. Right. Maybe I got more than you, but we all got issues. Amen? Amen? But God continues to work in us in spite of us. So it is essential for us saints to believe in the resurrection of Christ, not just with our mouth and with our lips, but with our lives. I pray today that God will grant conviction to us if we have been afraid to share this gospel, that we will be compared, compelled to share it. And if you're here today and you have not come to saving faith, I pray that God will grant you salvation today. Only two points today, uh, real quickly. Uh, these points will help you understand where I'm at. The first point, the tomb emptied in verses 1 through 10. The tomb emptied. And the second point, the teacher revealed. The teacher revealed in verses 11 through 18. First point, the tomb emptied, verses 1 through 10. And then the teacher revealed in verses 11 through 18. So the first point, the tomb emptied in verses 1 through 10. Now, uh, we do have record of this actual account in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke speak of the other women who were with Mary Magdalene in our text. Mark records that Mary, the mother of James, and Salome were there. Matthew speaks of the other Mary that was there. Luke also records that there was a woman named Joanna there uh, with Mary. And apologists actually, what they bring out is that, uh, and this is a very good point, is that if the Gospels were fabricated or made up, 
why would they put women to be the first ones to testify of the resurrection? Because at that time, sadly, women were considered of less value when it came to their testimony in court. So if they were to make this up and try to make it legit for the testimony to be valid, why would they put women in the first century to testify and use their testimony as evidence that Jesus actually rose from the dead? The first witnesses of the resurrection were women. They were the first to share the good news of the resurrection. The first evangelists. Now, I like saying that because these, uh, the fundamentalists hate that. They don't like that. No, women definitely were used by God and are continued to be used by God. <laughs> Our church is full of godly women that are, have been <laughs> foundational to this church. So they were there on the first day of the week, Sunday, and they saw that the stone had been taken away. Let's read verse 2, 3, and 4. So she ran, Mary Magdalene, and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out, of the, uh, went out with the, uh, the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Verse 4, both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. That made me laugh. I ain't going to lie. Because the writer of this gospel is the person that actually outran Peter. Why did he have to? I was just like, come on, man. You just had to throw that in there. Yeah, I beat Peter to the tomb. He was slow. I outran Peter. You know, I got there first. Just in case y'all wanted to know. I just thought that was funny that the writer will point himself out as faster than Peter in our text. Verse 5. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths there, lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in the place by itself. So let's think about this for a second. The first reaction would have been that someone actually stole the body, right? Mm -hmm. I know that that would have been us seeing an empty tomb. In fact, in verse 13, Mary thought that this happened. If someone would have robbed the body, though, they most likely wouldn't have left the linen cloths there. The face cloth that was there, which was on his head, it was folded in the place by itself. So it doesn't look like a robbery to me, right? There was something that did happen there that we cannot forget in Matthew 28, verses 2 to 4. This is something that happened there. Matthew 28, 2 to 4 says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. So the guards became like dead men and the stone was rolled back. That's what happened there. And Jesus resurrected and left the linen cloths there. And Peter and John ran to the tomb after being told by the woman that the tomb was empty. In Luke's account in chapter 24, verse 12, it says that after looking in, Peter was marveled at what happened. He was astounded that someone would actually take a dead body from the tomb. Even touching the dead body will make someone unclean. 
Luke mentioned that the disciples actually, after giving the account for Mary Magdalene and even going to the tomb, it's, Luke mentioned that they didn't even believe afterwards. But there was one who did believe, and we see him in verse 8. It was the other disciple who had reached the tomb first. He also went in. He saw, it says, and he believed. Now, this is the theme of this gospel account. The word believe is actually mentioned 98 times in the gospel of John. It's the theme of this gospel account. Matter of fact, in John 20, verse 31 says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then later on in verse 29 of John 20 of our text, Jesus said to him, to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. So John, the other disciple, did not need to see the body of Christ to believe. And saints, neither do we. We believe because of being born again. God opening our eyes to see what he has breathed in scripture. I don't know about you, but after, I don't know, what, 30 years now of being saved? Every time I read the scriptures, it always brings something to light that I didn't see before. There's always something new in there. And not that it's new, but it's new to me. And we believe, saints, because he rose from the dead. And our faith is now evidence of his resurrection. Do you know that you're living proof of what God has done in Christ at the tomb? We who believe should always examine our faith, too. Not in a doubtful way, but in a way that seeks more devotion to Christ. To be sharper and wiser and, most importantly, biblical. We should be seeking to be more accurate about the scriptures, which is why we do Bible studies together. To seek God together in prayer and fellowship with the saints, to know God more together. And that's why I don't get people who are just passive about being amongst God's people. I don't get it. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead quickens us also. In other words, the Holy Spirit raised you from the dead. Being dead in your sins, you're made alive. And so now that I understand I've been made alive in Christ, why don't I want to be around other people that have been made alive in Christ? I don't get that. And again, I'm not put, I know you're a pastor, you want people to come to church, that's not even the point. The point is, if you're a Christian, evidence, evidence should be coming out of you. Conviction should be there. Change should be there. And it comes from the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead. Understanding and believing the truth of an empty tomb is foundational to our faith. And it is what compels us to keep coming together here every Sunday. The way we as his church seek reaffirmation to what we believe is to look into what God has said in his word. <laughs> I have to remind a lot of people at times throughout the years, uh, especially those of us who come from certain backgrounds, you know, uh, at times I've seen people being in awe of testimonies. I remember Wednesday night services and we would hear this dramatic story of a drug dealer, how he came to saving faith, and now he's an evangelist and all that. And we used to always have this, like, man, I wish I could have that. Um, but we're not saved by that. Right. And I got to a point in my life where I wasn't wowed anymore. 
Like, it's cool, brother, that you were a drug dealer. Benno, it's cool that you were in jail for that long. Cool. But we were both dead in our sins. Benno understands that. When he shares his testimony, it's not to wow you. It's to show you the grace of God in his life. Our hope doesn't depend on our experiences or backgrounds. That's not where our hope lies. You can be... you. Can, you could have been raised in a broken home and in a very Christian home. But if you weren't saved, you were in the same place. I met young men raised in churches, raised in a godly home. As a matter of fact, there was this young man who said that his parents made him memorize scripture, like chapters of scripture. And he could quote them to you. And I was just like, I don't, you're better than me. You know, and he was he was actually quoting scripture and saying all this stuff. And I was just like, wow, that's great. But the grace of God is the same. Our hope doesn't it doesn't matter where you're from. God will take you where you need to be. Our hope doesn't depend on flawed men and women in the church. If you look closely, people in the church will fail you. Don't go to church to avoid hurt. You will find hurt in the church. You will, I will hurt you. I will offend you. I will. But our hope doesn't rely on men and women in the church. Our hope doesn't depend on the next new revelation, as if we needed anything else other than God's word. I don't come every Sunday hoping I see angels, or see angels' feathers on the walls, or to get like goosebumps. Or to feel the Holy Spirit. I don't depend on feeling. That's not where my hope comes from. Our hope, saints, comes from an empty tomb. That's where our hope is. From a Savior who rose from the dead. That's where our hope is. If he had not raised, we of all people are most to be pitied. So even though Peter and John saw this empty tomb, they did not understand what the scriptures had to say about Jesus, him right, uh, being raised from the dead. But there is something we see in our text. We saw that John believed. And it was most likely because of what Jesus said about being raised. See, John was recording everything. He was understanding things. He was the one that was closest to Christ out of the 12. Right? He was there. He he. He loved the Lord. He understood who Jesus was. In John 14, 19, it says, Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. I, I, I believe John remembered this. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And he's kind of telling them blatantly and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes. He told them and be killed and on the third day be raised. He told them what would happen. They were told from Jesus himself that he would be raised. And I believe, according to the text telling us that John believed but they did not understand what the scriptures said about his resurrection. In verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Now what scripture uh, speaks of Jesus rising from the dead? It's in Psalm chapter 16 verse 10 where it says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. 
This was actually quoted in Acts chapter 13, verse 35. In Acts 13, we see Paul and Barnabas in Antioch on the Sabbath day. They went to the synagogue there to preach the scriptures. After reading them, the rulers of the synagogue asked Paul and, Bar and Barnabas if they had any words of encouragement for them. To which Paul stood up and began to share about the Old Testament and how Jesus came from David. Then he went on to speak about Jesus and how he was crucified in Acts chapter 13, verses 26 to 30. But then Paul goes on in verse 34 to say this. And so for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. He quotes a verse in the Old Testament. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Quoted from Isaiah 50. 55.3. And then in Acts 13, 35-39, he says this. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. So understanding and believing this, saints, is essential to our profession of faith. To believe that Jesus saw no corruption being raised from the dead is a non-negotiable. But has this truth been realized by you here today. How have you stewarded the truth of the resurrection in your life? How have you lived out the freedom that comes from knowing the resurrection of Christ? I like to ask this question a lot about boredom because I think people find church boring. Have you been bored with the resurrection? Is it not a big deal to you? Has the empty tomb filled your hearts with hope and joy? Where are you with the resurrection? If only they knew and understood the scriptures, they probably would have had open eyes to what Jesus did here. Jesus was not abandoned to the grave. The Holy One did not see corruption. In fact, in John 6, that's what they called him. Remember when he said in John 6, 53, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Remember the reaction to that? What did they say? This is a hard saying. We got to go. This guy's crazy. And then in John 6, 66 to 69, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The Holy One that would not see corruption. See, they didn't understand the scripture that he might rise from the dead. In verse 10, we see what happens after. Then the disciples went back to their homes after really not believing and seeing other than John. So they went back to their homes and Peter marveled. He was astounded that someone took the body. And we have five times where Jesus appeared to people after being raised. The five appearances on this day were that he appeared to Mary Magdalene, to the other women, and actually to the two going to the road of Emmaus in Luke 24, to Simon Peter, and then to the ten apostles and others. And sadly, Mark tells us in Mark 16, verses 9 through 11, that the disciples heard that he was alive and had been seen by Mary, but they would not believe. The tomb was empty, 
but they had not seen him, and they struggled to believe, but Mary would believe. She would not only see the two angels, but finally she would see Jesus himself. And this is our last point, the teacher revealed in verses 11 through 18. In this part of scripture, we do see Mary seeing angels. Let's read in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. So Mary was weeping because she thought that they had stolen the body. She stooped, meaning she bent over and looked into the tomb. And then in verse 12, she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. In verse 13, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So what they also told the woman there, according to Matthew's account in verse 6 of chapter 28, this is what they told her. He is not here, for he has risen. And as he said, come see the place where he lay. So here we have the first good news, saints, given to a woman who was demon-possessed. Then, of course, you know, like I told Rome the other day, I always ask questions because I'm like, okay, hold on, though. You, you mean to tell me that God's going to tell someone who was demon-possessed first about the resurrection? Because that's someone I wouldn't want to believe. She crazy. She ain't got it together. I remember her. Why would he do this with a woman who was demon-possessed? Wouldn't people question her testimony? Wouldn't her testimony face scrutiny simply because she was a woman, which at the time wasn't considered valid in the court of law, especially a woman who was demon-possessed? Well, listen, saints, to God, it's, it's irrelevant who he tells. If God can give the good news to those of us who are dead in our sins, then this, this is no big deal. Mary Magdalene, healed from evil spirits and infirmities, will be the first to hear that Jesus was alive and well, and the first to tell. So don't ever think that you need a list of things to do before you can share the gospel yourself. God doesn't qualify you and then send you. He, he'll, he'll tell you, you're not qualified, you ain't all that. Go and share. Go and share with those that need to hear the gospel. God doesn't have a list of things for you to do. The woman uh, at the well, she just went and shared. She, she had five husbands, and the one that she was with wasn't even, you know, Jesus was kind of exposing her, showing her who she was. What did she do? She went and shared the gospel. See, the angels asked Mary in our text, why are you weeping? And she responded, thinking that they had taken his body. And Mary would not only see angels, saints, but she would finally see our Lord. In verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And some, of course, some skeptics question why Mary couldn't recognize Jesus at first. One of the things we have to remember is that Mary was mourning. She was crying because she thought they had taken his body. And she was afraid because of what she saw. She had mixed emotions of fear and joy, actually, according to Matthew 28, verse 8. And we should also consider how she remembered Jesus on the cross. I mean, it'd be crazy to see someone who's okay after that beating. She saw him while he was bruised beyond recognition and believing that someone could actually be healed and raised. 
after being dead could have actually been a challenge for any of us. There is also what happened in Luke 24. Maybe like the disciples there, that God was preventing them from seeing who Jesus was. In either case, it is clear that Mary could not recognize who he was. And then in verse 15, we see Jesus speaking to her. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. She was still grieving. Even with angels appearing, her grief caused her so much sorrow to remain doubtful, which is another example that not even the supernatural is enough for you to believe. Supernatural experiences, a good worship service, uh, the things that we think we need for church aren't things that will save you. I tell people that all the time. I need a prophetic word from God. No, you don't. You need Jesus. I need that gift of tongues to know you need Jesus. Man, if I give the seed of a thousand, you need Jesus. Money can't save you. Your giving can't save you. Nothing can open your eyes other than the grace of God. Nothing. Uh, Prosperity gospel preachers are okay with you coming to church and not seeing. Uh, Matter of fact, some of them are so devilish that they pray you don't see because then you'll see them as wolves. And you'll leave their churches. But we're not saved by giving. We're not saved by money. We're not saved by anything other than the grace of God. What Mary needed was Jesus. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. So Mary finally realized that it was Jesus glorified. When John saw the empty tomb, he believed what Jesus said about his resurrection. For Mary, Jesus spoke to her and she realized that it was in fact him. And her response was to call him teacher, which means that she would have remembered the things that he taught. Most likely she was remembering what John remembered. So here's a question for you. Who had the greater display of faith in our text? Was it Mary or was it John? Mary ended up believing because she saw Jesus. But earlier we read that John believed and not even to have seen the body. Who had the greater faith? Jesus answers that question in verse 29 of John chapter 20. He said, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. John had the greater faith. Our faith doesn't depend on external circumstances. God has given us enough to believe through the power of the Holy Spirit confirmed by his written word, we believe. And you know what? He calls us blessed for believing. It's a blessing to believe. It's a blessing to know Jesus in a salvific and transformative way. See, we can believe even more than Mary, even when Mary saw him face to face and be blessed. So our faith is dependent on the literal and physical resurrection of Christ. It is the truth of the resurrection that authenticates our faith. See, we don't need to see the body of Christ, but we need the body of Christ to to have our faith, to to make our faith valid. If he didn't raise... We're the, we're dummies. We're 
losers. We're, you're wasting your time. But thankfully, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was raised. And you know what? The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead will quicken us also. Verse 17, he says, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, there's some debate as to what this exactly means. There's different ideas as to what this could have meant. Mary wanted to hold Jesus, but Jesus was like, nah, step back. <laughs> Don't touch me, for I have not gone to my Father yet. Some in the early church, like uh, Chrysostom and those of the Middle Ages, like Erasmus, they guessed that this could have been that Jesus' body was glorified and had not yet been presented to the Father. The word cling here actually means to seize, to hold on to. So the idea was not to seize or take hold of him because of a lack of reverence, maybe. Uh, so Chrysostom and Erasmus kind of alluded to the fact that he was, you know, uh, glorified and not yet presented to the Father yet. So don't touch what, what is sacred yet until it's presented. That was the idea. Some cults believe that the reason why Jesus told her not to cling to him is because she couldn't because he was only spirit. We know that that's not true. Jehovah's Witnesses believe in that heresy. And some believe that Jesus told her because of her being unclean. Uh, there's some Levitical passages where it talks about the unclean not touching the offering. What we do know is that later, Thomas, who doubted, was told to touch him as proof that he rose. And not only Thomas, but Matthew 28, 9 says that the disciples took hold of his feet and worshipped him. So we don't really know exactly what that means, but we know that later on he was able to be touched. In verse 18, we see the first evangelistic act after the resurrection given by a woman who was demon possessed verse 18 mary magdalene went and announced to the disciples i have seen the lord and that he had said these things to her and again i want to exhort you today if you've seen the risen christ believed in him share the good news mary and the women who were there to see the empty tomb, told of the good news given to them by angels and seeing the risen Lord themselves. So I think this is a good passage to remember that not only are we called to live Christian lives, but we're called to speak of a living Savior. And the last thing that the world needs is a dead church. The last thing that the world needs is a passive gospel lived out by passive people. The last thing that the world needs is that we worry more about our comforts than we are of their salvation. Women, I, I, I would exhort you to take this as an example. Share the gospel. Men, I will tell you, share the gospel. Go and tell what God has given you to do. Now, if you're here today and you're saying, well, I, I got to get my life together, you know, or whatever. I have so many things I got to get done. Um, I'm kind of glad Mary didn't do that in our text. Um, and I'm kind of glad that the woman at the well didn't do that. They were marveling. They were just like, wow, 
this prophet told me things that, that he couldn't have known. And then at the end of, you know, John chapter 4, where the woman actually went and told what she said, what did they say? This is the one who was promised. This is the one whom the scriptures spoke of, right? Only because she shared with the compelling testimony of what she saw. And that's all you need, saints. And maybe I was thinking even, you know, because they're seeing Jesus, they're, they're feeling his hands and he's there. But those of us who believe and have not seen are blessed. So how have you been doing with believing? How have you been doing with your faith? I know some of us work, some of us have jobs, some of us have lives we gotta live, we have children, we have circumstances in our families. There are things in our lives that actually take up a lot of our time and energy. That happens in our lives, I, you know, um, I get it. Um, but go back to the drawing board of prayer. Pray to the Lord, seek his face. I think the missing element to our evangelistic efforts is prayer and worship because it's one thing to share it's like okay yeah y'all need to believe and you know this is what God has done in my life you know anybody could do that but it's another thing to have an Isaiah 6 testimony I've seen the Lord he's changed my life and he could do the same for you so I was convicted, saints, by reading this. I was just like, wow, you know, a woman who was demon-possessed was the first to evangelize and share the good news of the gospel, wasn't worried about what she went through or whatever other people would have said. And even though the disciples doubted, she still went and told what she saw. I pray that that would be our church. On Caroline Street, I pray that we're a church that goes and tells. To Manor Street, to Water Street, to South Prince, Let's go and tell people who Jesus is. Um, but let's do it in a compelling way. So, Lord, I pray today, would you help us? Would you help us to go and tell in such a way, God, that will glorify you? Help us, Lord, to um, not give in to the comforts of this life. I pray, God, that you would stir in our hearts an active faith, a faith that reflects your work in our hearts. You said a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Would you check the roots of our hearts? Would you start pruning? Would you start working so that we can bear fruit, evidence of salvation, to the point, God, where we're in awe and sharing in awe. Some of us might be tired today. Some of us even might be fearful or confused, not knowing what to do in our lives. God, some of us might be discouraged. Some of us just simply might be tired. God, would you rejuvenate in our hearts a desire to pray? a desire to worship, a desire to run after you with all our hearts. So Lord, guard our desire, stir our affections for you. May we be those of testimony, but also God, ground us in your word. 
May we be a church of the word, of the scriptures, to plant us, to root us, so that we can bear fruit in season and out of season. A tree planted by the water. The water being your word. So help us, Lord. May you be glorified. We ask.